Hello and welcome back to episode 3 of The Good, The Bad, and The Roto. My name is David Weirs, and joining me as always is my co-host Michael Long. Long, uh, say hello to the folks out there. Hey, hey everybody. Sorry it's been a couple of weeks. Things just sort of got in the way, but we're back and we have a bunch of good stuff to talk about tonight. And then we have also, in our absence, we have plotted out... I think five or six really good episodes that we're going to try and get to you before the beginning of the season and probably even earlier than that, we're hopefully before sort of the main draft period. So uh, stay tuned. We got some good stuff. Oh, spoiler alert. I mean, give the, give the people a little nibble, not a whole bite. I mean, we got we got <laughs> to keep them coming back for something other than our charm and our wit. But as Lung did just allude to, yes, absolutely. We're pretty excited about some of the stuff we have planned uh, in the upcoming future. But to speak a little bit more in the present, so to say, uh, we have a pretty fun episode today. Now, a lot of you, I'm sure, have listened to, obviously, you know, episode one, and in particular, this relates to episode two, and that uh, we had a spreadsheet that really did a good job of kind of highlighting some similarities, but really more some differences going from a standard 5 by 5 league to an OBP-style format. Uh, Mike, why don't you give us a brief recap of kind of the goings on there in episode two for those who may have skipped an episode yeah so what we did in episode two is we talked a lot about uh the difference between players in obp leagues versus average leagues and we found some some really interesting things i thought um that you a lot of your really high volume steals guys didn't tend to be very good deals in obp leagues and a lot of your sort of average sluggers and types did, which when you think about it, it makes sense that, you know, fast guys, high BABIPs, um, generally a lot of ground balls in that type of hitter, which uh, helps them with their average. But because of their contact skills, because anybody with that sort of ground ball speed profile without elite contact skills doesn't make the majors, Um so it makes sense that those guys tend to be stronger in batting average leagues because they make a lot of contact, don't have the best walk rates in the world, tend to be a little lower value in OBP. So I would definitely encourage you to go back and look at that if you're in an OBP league. I thought it was really, really helpful, uh, from at least for my own preparation for the OBP league, the couple of OBP leagues that I'm in. Yeah, I agree. It was very illuminating. Um, in a similar vein to, you know, not standard leagues or you know they're not the traditional five by five leagues where pitching wins is a thing we decided to take uh, a little bit of i would say extrapolation but the same methodology from the hitters and switch it over to the starting pitchers in which we do compare and highlight and contrast and compare etc the difference in wins and the difference in quality starts uh similar to the previous episode too we do have a lovely spreadsheet that'll go up. It has just about everything that you're going to want to look for as far as, you know, starting values, what was weighed, what we have there, everything of record for the 2015 season. Uh, but suffice to say, we didn't quite have the expected results, or maybe not even expected, but just the, the same level of results and same level of enlightenment as we had with the hitters. Uh, Mike, why don't you kind of take it from here and kind of show what we maybe didn't actually show. Yeah, so I expected there to be some kind of trend like there was with average and OBP leagues for wins and quality starts, that there would be a specific type of pitcher that would be a stronger play in a quality starts league as there was in a wins league. 
and I had some ideas about what that kind of pitcher might be, but I, I didn't have like a, I didn't have a very strong thesis. But I thought that maybe older pitchers um, that tend to go deeper into games would be a better value than younger pitchers that maybe have pitch limits or um, season long innings limits, and their managers are just trying to to, to stop use uh, and abuse or. Uh, we thought that there might be something to ground ball percentage because those guys tend to be more efficient. They throw fewer pitches per bats. And so they tend to go deeper into games because really that's with quality starts. That's what we're looking for is you have to go six innings. And in today's baseball, it's not, it's not, it's, it's less common to go six innings regularly than it was even 10 years ago and even more so 20 years ago. So Basically, our goal was to just try and find people that that rack up innings per start. And the other thing that we thought, you know, maybe people on bad teams would be better than people on good teams because bad teams, you lose wins, whereas uh, with quality starts, you know, you can be on a bad, your team can win or lose, you can be on a bad team, whatever. It's, It's all up to you and your defense on whether you get a quality start. And as we'll go into in a little bit of detail, we didn't really find super strong correlations between any of those things and a pitcher's ability to get quality starts. I guess on the one hand, it kind of breaks intuition because, you know, you think, okay, good pitchers, good teams, a lot of wins, bad pitchers, bad teams, you know, maybe maybe not so many wins and obviously not so many quality starts. But again, the team aspect just was severely dampened as to what I imagined it would be. Uh, one of the things that we did really look at outside of, you know, just the defense behind you was really the lineup as well behind you. And we pulled, uh, we did a little bit of manual work because uh, it wasn't the easiest data set to go for. But I think we ran, what was it, 100 and, I think it was 140 pitchers total. Or so, No, it was a little less than that. It was about, it was over 130 pitchers total. And then from that, we figured out how many runs per game that their offense on average put up. Now, I didn't isolate it as for individual run support per, you know, individual pitcher, just because we're already dealing with a lot of kind of signal-to-noise potential, so to kind of shrink in our data set even more was not something I was comfortable with. I just took the average runs per game, and I've put up, and I ran them against wins, we ran them against quality starts, and again, they're just... It wasn't nothing, but it was almost nothing. The uh, runs per game and win correlation was 0.043. And the runs per game and quality starts was 0.009. So just for some clarification, that's runs per game by the offense? Mm -hmm, Correct, yes. Yep. Which obviously, you know... You got to have a couple of runs behind you in order to get a win. You don't necessarily have to have run support behind you to get a quality start. So to see that you know the quality start correlation was lower, not a real surprise. But again, it was just how how very very little it was. Uh, now it wasn't just the offense that was behind them. Um, everyone has had you know relievers who vulture some wins, but every you know reliever who vultures a win, a starter lost it. And we actually did a little bit of work on the bullpen side of things. Uh, Mike, do you happen to have some of those numbers in front of you? No, you should edit this and you should talk about it. Okay, sure, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> 
now, similarly, again, like nobody wants a blown save, but it's going to happen. So what did we do? We ran it through yet again. Uh, it's not just blown saves, just because everyone doesn't like the save, I would assume. And that's a you know, discussion for another day. Maybe, maybe one of the upcoming preseason ones. But uh, Fangraphs basically has a metric for shutdowns and meltdowns. That's going to be the effect of a reliever on a game for, you know, in layman's terms, without breaking it down into the numbers. Basically, the more shutdowns you have as a reliever, that's good. The more meltdowns you have, as the name would, you know, kind of allude to, not so good. But, again, there was really nothing there. When we ran quality starts and meltdowns, the correlation was 0.0032. So, when there's a meltdown, doesn't necessarily happen. Or just doesn't necessarily mean that quality start happened. Because, again, kind of intuitively, those are very isolated events. They're not tied to each other necessarily. Similarly, between quality starts and shutdowns, uh, that correlation was so low, it was actually in scientific notation. So I don't think we need to dig into that one too, too much. However, um, the difference between wins and shutdowns, as one might kind of suspect, again, you know, a bullpen's holding your starter's lead, the correlation was very weak yet again at 0 0.0035. So that was very surprising, to me at least. And then the, the correlation between wins and meltdowns is 0 0.0131. So there was a little bit more to that, which is more surprising than anything to me, really. But it just kind of goes against every feeling that I've always had that a decent pitcher, A, and decent pitcher, B, all things other considered other than their bullpen are the same, you always go with the, the first one, even if, you know, maybe it's a couple draft picks higher. Basically, what these numbers show is there's not really a significant difference. Uh, did anything kind of surprise you in its lacking or in its insights for the bullpen issue as well, Mike? It did. You know, I like you say, bullpens have no effect on quality starts and they have an effect on wins. And so... When I when I look at this value difference spreadsheet, um, where I took again I took the five by five value of a pitcher in a wins league, so I gave him a this was a baseball monster value for ERA, WHIP, wins, saves, uh, and strikeouts. Even though saves in this they don't really matter for this perspective. So took those five categories and added up to Z-scores, and then I took, likewise, ERA, whip, saves, strikeouts, and quality starts, and I added those up, and then I took the difference between those two numbers. You know, you expect that the players that gained the most value in wins leagues to be teams with strong bullpens. You know, you'd expect to see Kansas City there. Um, you'd expect to see the Yankees up there, that kind of thing. And there, there's some of that. Um, in fact, the player that lost the most value going from wins to quality starts last year was Nathan Eovaldi. So, you know, there's a Yankee. There's a guy with a good bullpen. Um, so so his bullpen clearly helped him save some wins. There are also a couple of Kansas City pitchers down there. Chris Young is another one that uh, going from wins to quality starts lost a lot of value. Giordano Ventura is another one. But on the flip side of that, 
there are also some some bullpens that weren't very good last year. Um, the Texas bullpen shows up a couple of times. Um, the Tampa bullpen shows up a couple of times. The Toronto bullpen is down there. So it's these bullpens that they were they were okay, but not when you think of the the truly elite bullpens that really helped. And on the flip side, um, Houston Houston sort of blew up a lot of my theories because four of the top uh, 13 gainers in terms of value going from wins to quality starts last year were Lance McCullers, Mike Fires, Scott Feldman, and Scott Kazmier. So those are two guys that came over midseason to Houston, which may play a, play a role, but um, McCullers was there and, and Feldman was there for a decent part of the season. And... Houston had a great bullpen, and they also were just an all-around good team. So the fact that a good team with a good bullpen produced starters that picked up value in quality starts leagues was really eye-opening and surprising to me. Now, Houston wasn't the only team, if I'm you know understanding everything correctly, that kind of had, I don't want to say a pitching philosophy, but there was definitely an overarching trend to the numbers, uh, at least when it came to things, you know, like how long the starter goes in for, how many times through the order, that sort of thing that kind of really picked up on that. Um, Now, again, like I said, Houston was a bit of an outlier in the previous regard, but going through the lineup multiple times, I know you kind of stumbled upon this. Uh, what, What did you kind of find as far as, you know, third time through the batting order and that sort of thing? Yeah, you know, the, uh, I I played in a quality start league for the first time last year, and this is a little anecdotal, but it emphasized to me some of the some of the small ways that you can try and get ahead in quality starts leagues, and that's that I own Nate Carnes, and Nate Carnes last year put up some pretty decent numbers. Uh, he was pretty productive for me in some spot starts, held on to him for a while, but he was frustrating because as I'm watching these games. He's he's pitching pitching well, uh, gets through the fifth inning, and then he doesn't come out for the sixth, and it just killed me. Um, he averaged five point four, so just over five and a third innings per start. Uh, Three sixty seven ERA, one twenty eight WHIP, one hundred forty five strikeouts and one hundred forty seven innings. So productive fantasy player, but. Tampa, as an organization, has an extremely strong philosophy where they don't like their pitchers, with the exception of Archer, go through the order the third time. And that manifested itself in Nate Carnes not getting quality starts. And I think it's something that when you look at player at players' projections, um, it's something to think about, especially with Rays pitchers that race pitchers are going to be devalued in quality starts leagues because of organizational philosophy. Which is very kind of interesting because the Rays are a little bit known for, you know, the extra 2%, you know, the famous Jonah Carey book, and they're trying to gain any possible edge that they can. And if starter fatigue or raw pitch count, which I don't think I subscribe to the idea of raw pitch count. I think the higher leverage innings, you know, the men on base, you know, the stretch versus the windup, I think that has a greater toll than just, you know, sheer raw numbers. I mean, if the guy is at 85 pitches, but 
no one's ever reached, then yeah, he's fine. If he's at 105 and no one's reached, I would be okay with leaving him in too. I don't think there's a specific mark as to, you know, when someone should or shouldn't be pulled. Um, I guess on that note, didn't Detroit leave in a pitcher for like a 54 inning or 54 pitch inning, like near the end of last year? I want to say the Tigers did that. And that to me is something that is just a, a brutal error from the top of the organization on down. But that's, you know, a little off topic. But it's just very illuminating to me to see that one team just really sticks out so, so, so much in terms of just a simple shift from a fantasy perspective of wins to quality starts. Because basically everything else points to this just not really mattering that much. And I really wish that we had some more meat to offer the way that, you know, our previous episodes with, you know, the OBP versus average. But I just there's just not a whole lot of difference there. Um, kind of as Mike mentioned earlier on in this episode, though, we thought about ground ball rate and we thought about average or uh, average age of the starters. And it's just kind of all up and down. I guess it's almost as simple as pitching. It's kind of weird. It's just, I mean, well, I mean, like you, you were a baseball player. Like I never was. Did, did you pitch or did you just, you know, catch and play wherever? I was a very mediocre high school catcher. <laughs> oh, don't say such things. What was your career batting average? Uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> but what was your career OBP? It was above three hundred. There you go. See, we have a we 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 have one who got get by on uh grit and intangibles. You were better than like say uh Willie Bloomquist of the high school team, or would that be kind of accurate? I'm no, not that's, sure. a, that's a that's about accurate. I was the uh, <laughs> I was the the Drew Butera. Of of high school of Southwest Michigan high school baseball. I <laughs> uh, I mean, could we say you were at least like Jesus Montero? Like catching was there, but the bat never came around. Although now that I think about it, Jesus Montero was a terrible catcher. So Jesus Montero sure. also like what throws ice cream sandwiches at people. So <laughs> what you've never thrown a frozen treat at people? I'm pretty sure you've thrown a frozen treat at me. Actually, I'm not sure. <laughs> but circling back to the topic. It's just, I don't want to say disappointing to not find anything, because just the fact that, you know, we put the work in, I'm absolutely glad that we did, but that there wasn't an overarching philosophy or an overarching greater point or anything that could we could really kind of derive or dig out from all this was not exactly what we hoped for. There wasn't like a smoking gun is what I think Mike called it in the pregame. Now... Just because there's not like a league-wide trend, even if there's you know a specific team philosophy with the Rays, there are still players to, to kind of target and to avoid. You know, Mike mentioned you know you might want to take a second look at players who aren't on the Rays, or at least think twice about Rays pitchers not named Chris Archer, just because you're probably not going to get too many quality starts. But personally, I think I kind of on the other side of things. I'm a, I'm a little more positive and upbeat. I don't want to look at someone to avoid. I like looking at people to target. And there's a couple players that I'm just going to kind of toss out there. Uh, the first one is kind of uh, my former boss and friend, colleague, Eno Saris. If you listen to us, I'm sure you know Eno. Uh, he's been all over Raziel Iglesias since, oh, geez, since the All-Star break of last year, I would imagine. And I like Iglesias as well. I like him less in wins leagues. 
But again, looking back at the spreadsheet, that might not matter so much. But I really like Iglesias because he's just a good pitcher. I don't think the park is going to hurt him too bad. And there's just there's a lot to enjoy there. So if you're looking for someone who's going to give you quality starts but might not have the offensive support to rack up the wins, then I actually like Iglesias more in quality start leagues than I would in a standard 5x5 five five league. Uh, do you have any specific thoughts on Iglesias there, Mike? I do, and the only um, – I don't have the, the rankings in front of me. I also like Iglesias, and I owned him down the stretch a little bit last year, a couple of places. And my only gripe is that I feel like he is – he's being overdrafted. I want to say that his Yahoo default rank is in the 120s or so, mm. which – just puts him in a class of pitcher that I think is you're paying for what you're hoping the stats mean, not for what I think you can reasonably expect. So I agree with you that sort of as a, as a, as a pitcher sleeper to, to move up a little bit, he's a good target. I think where he is going Specifically in Yahoo leagues, I don't know the CBS and, EB, and ESPN rankings nearly as well, but I think he he just got overranked. It happens every now and then with guys on on Yahoo and all the other platforms too, where there will be somebody that either I own the previous year or I've read a little bit about in the off season, uh, or have popped out when I'm doing my draft prep or something of like, hey, this I think that there's there's really something here um, that I like, and then the rankings come out and he's ranked with the expectant price. And that's what I feel like happened to Iglesias. Yeah. If Iglesias is going at like 120, then you're paying for like, I don't know what his 98th percentile performance, 95th percentile. Like there's, there's just all risk there. Um, I do have the NFBC numbers in front of me. So if it's slightly different, you know, it's 15 teamers different than the normal Yahoo, but Iglesias is a pick overall about number 151, which is about right, but even that is probably like around maybe two higher than what I would want to take him. And again, this is someone who I'm really high on. I think it's kind of a the industry has shifted the needle on him almost the way like Vegas odds can shift over a big ball game. Like just over time enough people jump on board that they got that he's got to go earlier and earlier and earlier to get and now I mean 150 151's not bad. It's not breaking their arm to reach him, but it seems a little high just for me. Now, so, I... yeah, I'm, I'm looking at he's Yahoo's 35th ranked pitcher. Mm-hmm. And some of the pitchers that are close behind him, but still behind Iglesias, are Masahiro Tanaka, uh, John Lackey, Jose Quintana, James Shields, Shelby Miller, Jeff Samarja, uh, Scott Kazmir, Odorizzi, and Iwakuma are like the next dozen pitchers or so. So that's what I mean. Like those are steady veterans that are good. So Iglesias, I think probably can be those guys, but the downside of Iglesias is that he's bad again. Yeah. And I think that the odds of him being bad again are way lower than the wheels falling off for Jose Quintana. Right. Right. 
Uh, I mean, we we both have spoke highly. I think it was episode one that we both kind of, I wouldn't say gushed, but fanboyed a little bit over Quintana and how people just overlook him. He's just kind of an obscure-ish player on an obscure-ish type team. It's just a little bit different. But shifting from the pseudo-obscure there to the very obscure, let's talk about Julio Teheran. And now he's not obscure, but uh, his team might be. Uh, any thoughts on that little quip there, Mike? Yeah, it hurts, man. It hurts <laughs> real bad. I'm an A's fan, so I can't make fun of the Braves. Not, not at all. But to me, Taryn is someone who, again... The team behind him, I, I, guess I, I guess I should pull some punches here. I don't think he's going to get a lot of run support behind him. Um, I mean, Freeman's great. Ender and Ciarte, he could be very good again. But there's, would it safe to say there's some holes in the lineup behind Tyron? Would that be fair? Yes, that's fair. Okay. But he's pitched, you know, over 200 innings in back-to-back years. I mean, yeah, he had double-digit wins in 14 and in 2015, which is nice, you know, 14 wins and 11 wins respectively. But this year, I mean, Steamer has him for 10 wins, and that's just not great. Like, it's just pretty underwhelming. But over that time frame, I think he's going to rack up a ton of quality starts. The fact that he doesn't get the win tally isn't his fault, even though... Our spreadsheet says, you know, the defense behind him doesn't really matter. I think that Teheran is someone absolutely that should be taken maybe not, you know, you know, two tiers early in a quality starts league, but at least ahead of, you know, a couple guys who might be getting by on their wins behind them. Um, again, going back kind of to the NFBC, Julio Teheran is the 176th player off the board. Like, that's right around, it looks like, Gio Gonzalez, like, Kenta Maeda, like, pretty close to Mike Fires. Those are all guys that are in the quality start league. I would prefer, you know, the Braves pitcher, which is a sentence probably won't be uttered too many times this preseason. But, Mike, you're you're a Braves fan. I mean, you know all about Taron. His ERA did jump a little bit, so did his other metrics. You know, his FIP and XFIP climbed steadily as well. What, uh, what do you think of him kind of going forward in both wins or in a quality start format? Yeah, I think that as, as far as your Braves point go, that these are one of these subtle things that can help decide between players and tiers that, you know, you talked about, about Julio Tehran and a couple of guys around him. Um, and we might bump him up just a touch because his win projection is going to be brutal. As it should be. I think I think going into draft season right now, there are two Braves pitchers that should be drafted, and that's Julio and um, and Orodas Vizcaino, and everybody else you can leave. Um, the number two starter is probably, what, Whistler? Maybe Bud Norris? And then I don't think Gurley's going to be healthy. Maybe if, if, if they announce Gurley's going to be the closer, obviously he takes it over, over Vizcaino. But, like, there's two Braves pitchers, and you can ignore everybody else. But... You shouldn't ignore those two Braves pitchers because um, I think Julio Tehran, even past just sort of a wins quality starts thing, is a decent regression candidate. His home run for his home run per nine jumped a little bit last year um, after being 1.07 and 0.9. Um, it jumped to 1.21 last year. His walk rate exploded last year, went up by by one walk per nine, which I don't really understand. I don't know where that came from. Um, well, I do because I watch a lot of Braves games. 
it just came from him not being super sharp last year. But I think that as a 25-year-old um, that has thrown 185 innings three years in a row, he went 185, 221, 200. I, I just think that Julio is kind of a safe safe bet for, I don't know, I'd probably put him for 18 quality starts maybe, which is yeah. a middle-of-the-pack guy. Like He's not going to be your ace. I'm not saying that. But um, that'll that'll make you money. Um, at at the 175th pick. Mm-hmm. Kind of staying in the NL East, but uh, dropping in the rankings quite a bit. It's someone we just talked about on the pregame, how we're both kind of quietly high on, and for all of our league mates listening, uh, hopefully they don't jump on him before us, but it's another candidate that I think is going to be a pretty good pitcher. He showed it in not a ton of innings last year, but a healthy amount. Uh, I think he got, yeah, 50 innings in the yep. big leagues last year. Uh, but that's going to be Jared Eikhoff. Again, very similar to Haran, not Arsenal-wise or anything like that, but that they're just good pitchers, not a great offense behind them. So, again, the wins are going to be significantly depressed over what they possibly would be if he were on, say, the Blue Jays or the Rangers. But next year, well, excuse me, this year, I'm very high on the Eikhoff train. I don't know if I'm the conductor of it. I don't love his kind of fly ball rates in that park. Uh, we all know that Philly can uh, jump up and hit you with some homers from now and then. It's just kind of the nature of that park. But right now, Eikhoff, according to NFBC, is going about the 87th pitcher off the board down in the 320s picks. That's basically scraping near the bottom of the barrel. Like, there is Josh Tomlin is down there. Uh, Derek Holland. Uh, there's, like, Lucas Giolito, which I'm not saying he's the bottom of the barrel, but just, I mean, how much is he really going to contribute this year type of thing? Like, you're going pick, you're going outside of the top 300 for a reason. But for me, I don't think those reasons for Eikhoff is very good. So what if he doesn't get the wins in a quality start format? I'm buying Eikhoff just about wherever I can. Uh, what do you have to say about your uh, NL East rivals there, Mike? Yeah, I think that there's some similar points to both Tehran and the Braves in there, and that is that Eikhoff is definitely going to be probably your, your last pitcher taking sort of your early season flyer just to see what happens because, to be fair, he was better in the majors last year than he ever was in the minors before that. Um, and a part of that is because people say that the stuff changed, uh, that there is a really good slider that has has come around. Um, but there's a 260 Babbitt and an 80% left on base, which still leaves him with a 325 FIP and a 360 XFIP in the majors. So I think that there still is definitely some underlying skill there. But again, yeah, from a from a quality start perspective, you know, going in, I, I would have told you, like, hey, he's a young guy. He is 25, but he's only had a half a year in the, in the majors, not even. He's had, he's had eight starts in the majors. Um, so that's a guy that I worry about his manager letting him go. But the Phillies are going to let their, their pitchers pitch. Uh, cause they kind of have to, they have to let those guys develop. They're not, 
they're not going to be in any kind of race where they have to get it to the bullpen to try and hold on to them. So I think Eikhoff and Nola both are going to maintain value in quality starts leagues because somebody's got to somebody's got to get innings for the Phillies. And I think that it's going to be their starters, and I think that there's some skills there that people are really excited about for good reason. I mean, he he wound up uh, really high in Eno Saris's excellent Arsenal scores, mm-hmm. um, or at least at least high enough in a place where you look at the players around him and you think, "Huh, that's kind of interesting." Um, yeah. So I've done a little bit of kind of behind the scene talk about Eikhoff and Nola with some, you know, amateur type scouts and Phillies fans who also happen to be kind of in scouting circles. And they're not homers. They can be objective. It's not, nah, you know, it's nothing like that. But they're both quietly optimistic that both Eikhoff and obviously, you know, Aaron Nola have a chance to maybe not be something super special. Like no one's calling the next Pedro or anything, but they can be consistent big league regulars, even as young as they are. But shifting over to the, you know, from the senior circuit to, you know, the real league where people actually hit and we don't have to see John Lester flail like a bat, flail like a flamingo in that batter's box. We can, uh, we can move on to one of my guys. Um, I've liked Taiwan Walker, for a while and not just because he retweeted one of my tweets one time which was obviously awesome and i was smiling for the rest of the day about that but walker uh he's got a little bit of injury risk more than you know the average guy but i still think that even with a unglamorous offense behind him which i should actually speak on in defense of the mariners park adjusted they were the sixth best offense in the al last year like people look at their raw triple slashes and that sort of thing or their run totals or even their like their home runs and that sort of thing and they they weren't that bad of an offense like everyone knows cano got off to a horrible start but he crushed it the last four or five four and a half at least months of the season like the mariners are a fairly legit team and i think taiwan walker is going to be a pretty legit player Last year, he got 11 wins. Granted, it was, you know, in 170 innings, so they trotted him out there 29 times, and, you know, 11 wins out of that, that's nothing to shake a stick at. I'm not sure if he can really surpass that many more wins, but I do think that with his swing and miss stuff, if he stays healthy and if he stops throwing, you know, a meatball every fifth pitch that goes for a home run, then I'm quietly buying Taiwan Walker stock. Uh, right now, he's just going inside the top 50 of starting pitchers on uh, NFBC. He's going right around pick 175. Uh, funnily enough, right in front of Tehran. Um, hmm. For me, I think I would personally take... T- Ooh, uh, I think I'd take Walker over Tehran just because I think he gets a little bit more strikeouts and the wins might be there. But in quality starts leagues... I think it's an absolute push. Uh, what do you? What say you there, Mike? I take Tehran in both formats. I think that we're holding out hope for what Taiwan Walker was supposed to be, and I think that's fine. Um, there have been some flashes of promise there, but Julio's actually done it before, and I think that he struggled last year, and I'm just willing to bet on a bounce back from Julio Tehran than on a person that's never done it in the majors before. That's very fair. Uh, I guess the primary counterpoint is, well, Walker, even, you know, with his 
quote-unquote disappointments in prior seasons, he's still just 23. He'll be playing his 24 season this year, so he does have a little bit of time to develop. But again, down in the 170s pick that you know NFBC has him in, I think that's late enough to be outside of, you know, oh my goodness, I need my steady pitchers, and right around the time where it's like, yeah, you know what, I can afford to maybe not blow a pick, but have a little more high risk involved there, but that could just be me. Is there is there kind of a threshold or a feeling for you, Mike, where it goes from, you know what, I'll roll the dice on this guy, the rest of my draft went well. I'm going to reach a little bit for him and hope he pans out or just kind of play it a little bit more by ear. I, with pitching in, in honestly, every league that I've ever done, I find starting pitching to be incredibly deep and to find players deep in the draft that I like. And it doesn't matter if that's a young guy or, like Eikhoff, like we talked about, or an older player, but I tend to try and get a couple of pitchers that I'm that I'm confident about, sort of that that two ace um, in the in sort of the twelve to eighteen starting pitcher rank range kind of strategy, and then fill in in the back with just some guys that I think fell for no reason. Um, a name that comes to mind from last year is I did it with, with John Lackey last year and that worked out quite well. Um, <laughs> to put it mildly, to put it mildly. <laughs> um, I do it with Jose Quintana all the time. And so the, the, the round doesn't really matter to me as much. It's just sort of a time when I see people beginning to address other needs, whatever they may be. And a pitcher just winds up going two or three rounds later than he, than he has to. So I tend to be pretty agnostic with, with my pitchers. I don't really fall in love, and I just kind of take what comes to me. Whereas with hitters, I'm the total opposite. Hitters, I absolutely fall in love, and I'm like, I'm going to take this guy two rounds early because I believe. <laughs> so you'll drink the Kool-Aid on hitters, but less so on the arms. Definitely. That's, that, that's fair. Uh, I mean, just simple attrition rate math tells you that's probably you know the safer bet. And uh, how many league championships do you have for us again? Do you have Enough. three? Do you have two? Yeah, two, or three. It's two in our league, and then I joined another league last year and won it. So Yeah, I didn't need to hear that second part, <laughs> but uh, thanks. That wasn't even a humble brag. I softballed that in for you, and you still managed to like outdo yourself. Unbelievable, folks. Unreal. Well, all right. Now, I know earlier I said, you know, I don't like to be, you know, Debbie Downer or avoid anyone, but uh, there is going to be one pitcher that – I guess I'm going to kind of avoid. He's on a team that made a lot of noise this year, uh, the Diamondbacks. Don't worry, I'm not down on Granky. I don't think I could ever be down on Granky. I love him. But I've seen Patrick Corbin kind of go all over the place. Um, going back to the NFBC, his average pick is right around 200. But I think that's a little skewed from some of the earlier drafts. Because his highest is 149, granted his lowest is pick 273, but I've seen him consistently go in like the 150s, 160s now, and it's not that I don't like the stuff, it's not like I don't like the offense, because I think they're going to be fine there, but he's coming back from Tommy John's, uh, I'm not sure, I guess, I, I'm just not positive that if you draft him, even in like the 150s, 160s, even 170s, is he really going to give you 
150 innings, 160 innings, because I want to give the Diamondbacks front office credit. Uh, I mean, maybe I shouldn't, given some of their trades with the Braves, but they have to know what they're doing, and I don't think they would push Corbin too hard after Tommy John. I mean, last year they had him throw over 100 innings since uh, after July forward, so that seems a bit aggressive for my taste, but... I've seen Corbin go in some of my other mocks that weren't NFBC, also in like the 140s, 150s. And I think, again, anecdotal, because it's just, you know, one draft here, one draft there. But I think that's very high. And that's not to say I don't like Corbin. I do like Corbin. I really like his repertoire, his stuff. Even in that park, he manages to get the job done. But if I have to pay even in the 160s for him, then he's going to go on someone else's team. I just, I just can't buy him for that in a wins or in a quality start format. Uh, have you seen him go any anywhere too crazy in any mocks or look at his ADP and have any questions on that yourself, Mike? I think if you're in a standard league, I think he's going around where he should be. But this is another one of these little subtle things that in quality starts leagues I think you need to think about is that I – this is impossible to look at, so unfortunately I don't have a, a firm numerical correlation for you on this, but my guess is that Corbin is going to get eased back in and that he may take a ding in quality starts because because of his injury, because he's coming back, because the Diamondbacks don't want to push him. Um, and so you mentioned sort of the season-long innings total, but I'll piggyback on that and say that I think that his – his innings per per start might be a touch lower. And so I think in his tier, I would probably lean towards somebody that I have more confidence about managers letting them go deep. Mm-hmm. So I want to jump back to Granky real, real quick because you, you mentioned him. So this is a 2015 result and this has nothing to do with any kinds of projections, but um, Zach Granky had 32 quality starts last year in 34 games which is nine more than Max Scherzer, nine, nine more than Max Scherzer, Cole Hamels, and Chris Sale, and ten more than Colin McHugh, Madison Bumgarner, Sonny Gray, and Jordan Zimmerman, and John Lester. So Zach Greinke was an absolute gold mine in quality starts last year. Nineteen had- wins were great, but he he ranked pretty highly in the uh, in the value difference between wins and quality starts because dude, every time he went out, and I owned him. Um, I owned both him and Kershaw in that league that I won last year, uh, which was a quality start league. And man, every single time both of them pitched, it was a quality start. I have to fan myself after that. You said it was how many quality starts again and how many total starts? Yeah, he had 32 quality starts and 34 starts. (sighs) That, okay, I need a cigarette. That's incredible. That, uh... Be still my heart. So that that's what you're going for, fam. When you when you when you start getting into that draft, you're looking for somebody that's gonna give you thirty two quality starts in thirty four <laughs> games. Do that, team's gonna be okay. <laughs> because obviously you can always depend on a pitcher blowing There's, up for, you know, thirty two out of thirty four. Yeah, obviously. You, you, you think you think, you know, you just just wait on that guy. Just sit around, you know, wait till like the tenth, eleventh round and find the guy that's gonna give you thirty two quality starts. <laughs> Is that one of the keys to success? That's, Major key alert. That's that's the Mike Long uh, keys to the draft. <laughs> Patent pending on that. Patent pending. Yep. 
<laughs> um, now, before we sign off, we do have a little bit of kind of fan mail. Not Maybe not mail, fan mail, but like fan acknowledgement. Uh, we got a couple of good Twitter comments uh, from longtime Bangrush reader Bradley Newman. Uh, he shot both Mike and I a couple of good questions. I know we didn't get to them this time, Bradley, but we will address them next time. And, uh, Mike, you found the first comment on the, the website. Is that correct? Yeah, we didn't realize this for two weeks. So big apology to Baseball RPM. Um, hope you're back and listening. Uh, we will respond to your comment about OBP League and Points Leagues with walks and strikeouts shortly because that's a really good question and it's something that um it's something that we'll we'll definitely address we appreciate you listening and reading and checking out the the obp versus average spreadsheet so indeed indeed uh now again we kind of open this episode teasing a little bit in the future uh, we do have a couple of fun things planned, possibly a mock draft if the schedules can line up, and we're going to do a number of fun things with projection systems as the uh, date of drafts come closer. Now, for anyone listening out there, I don't know if you would rather have us do a mock draft first, kind of get that up and going. Again, this would be like a 6 by 6 league, just like the league that I play in, that Mike's the commissioner of. Or would you rather us take a look at some of the projection systems as they kind of come out, compare who we might be high on or low on? So we'll put the ball in you know, the listeners and the readers' courts, so to speak. I think that's pretty agreeable. Would you say, Mike? Yeah. I, I think that's that's the plan. We are looking at um, I think next Tuesday we said maybe for for the mock draft, and then uh, once Zips comes out, that's going to be a whirlwind. Uh, I've got some I've got some big stuff planned for Zips. The so. takes will be hot, folks. Yep. Hot. Bring an oven mitt. Let or me two. tell you. <laughs> All right, Mike. Why do you sign us off today, here, bud? All right. Um, the the too long did not read version of today was don't get cute with your quality starts and basically just stick to your standard pitching rankings and your, and just let the quality starts happen that's kind of what I do with wins too if I'm being honest so pay attention to your ratios pay attention to your strikeouts and you're gonna get some good pitching and thanks for listening and we will see you guys next time all right take care folks. <laughs>